Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Are you ready for the Word? Huh? All right. Well, you asked for it, okay? And today, uh, my, my title of my message is Today's Christmas Message. Okay. Now, you know, that's... That may sound a little bit lame, but let me tell you why I said that, all right? Because this season of the year, being Christmas season, is a very powerful and important season, okay? I believe in Christmas. I believe in the Christ Day message, all right? And I believe in this season. Now, please don't shoot me down. Because most of you know some other things I believe. For example, this is not the time of the year. Stop up the ears of the little children, okay? <laughs> that Jesus was born, okay? So why in the world would I be so excited about Christmas? It's because I believe that life begins at conception. <laughs> and this is the season of the year that Jesus was conceived. I mean, we are right here in this moment that God promised that he would send Messiah to a lost and a hurting world. And whenever Mary said, be unto me according to your word, I believe that she conceived the word of Almighty God. And in that moment, God began to fulfill his promise on planet earth. And so it is certainly the day of Christ. What a Christmas it's going to be this year. Amen? I love Christmas. I love to think about what God was planning all those years and how he pulled the trigger one day on just a girl. Yeah, she was just a girl. Highly favored chosen by God to do something that God had planned for her before the foundation of the world. I love all the things that that speaks to us. Well, each Christmas season, I try to connect the messages I preach to Christmas. I know that about one-third of you would like to sing longer. I know that about one-third of you would like to pray longer. I know that about one-third of you would like me to preach longer. More word, okay? I understand that. So, my problem is, is if we sang longer, prayed longer, preached longer, I would only have one-third of you. That's the truth. Okay? And we can't reach the world with one-third of them. I know that some of you love numbers. Some of you love history. But I know when I start talking about numbers, some of you are going to check out. <laughs> Woo! You don't, I mean, you really don't want to hear it. You know? I was talking, uh, we, we were driving over to see some Christmas lights in Houston, and I was talking about some numbers, and, and one of the people in the car asked me to please be quiet. They were getting a headache. I love numbers. I love history. You know, some of you just, I mean, uh, you know, 
There are so many people here from so many backgrounds, from so many various and different church experiences that being the pastor of a church in one location for 30 years and keeping everybody together, I mean, people, I mean, you are not like the other person that you're sitting beside most likely or behind or in front of. Look around. There are a lot of different ages and stages and types and kinds and likes and dislikes. And so every time that we come together, I try to throw out enough that the almighty God through his Holy Spirit can take and make a little sense of it to you and you can take a little piece home. You know, it matters very little what I say. It matters more what you're willing to embrace and take home with you. And so I try to tie this season into Christmas passages, Christmas meanings, and today I have succeeded once again. But you're going to have to go on a little journey with me, okay? If you don't like dates, if you aren't one that likes numbers, or if you don't like to put puzzles together, okay, bear with me just a minute. I'll get to something you do like in just a moment, okay? But it is reasonable for us, because it's right and true, that Jesus was born in the fall of the year. In, you know, end of September, 1st of October, right in there somewhere. Depending on the year, because it, it, it was according to a lunar calendar, and whenever the first new moon of the new year showed up, we call it Rosh Hashanah, uh, the, the, new, the new year, then, then Jesus was born, uh, you know, that, that, that's the time that we all, that everybody that, that you know, that has studied uh, knows that Jesus would have been born. Boom. Okay? So, in the Jewish culture, dates and ages are very important. They are in many cultures. They are in our culture. When you're 18, you can vote. When you're 21, you can go to the bar. Hello? <laughs> you can buy liquor, right? Yeah. Dates and ages are important. I'm not saying you should. I'm just trying to make sure that you understand that in some moments, things happen. Well, in the Jewish culture in Jesus' day, being 30 years old was an important event. Very important. It's not the only age that was important, but being 30 was very important because when you were 30 years old, you could step out into ministry. You could step out. That's the time. That was your coming out into public. That was your moment that you were released. You were no longer under your mom and your dad. If you weren't married, you could nonetheless step out and be, uh, be yourself, okay, and, and, and do your own thing kind of thing. And so every fall, the end of September or October, Jesus had a birthday. Boom, 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 boom. Well, when he was 30 years old, it was a very important, he had been waiting for this for 30 years. He'd actually been waiting for this since the beginning of time. He'd been waiting since the foundation of the world for him to turn 30. He'd been waiting and waiting and waiting because when he was 30 years old, he got to step up and step out and say, here I am. Wow. And no one had any complaint. No one had any, any, any objection. No, no one could stop. And so that probably happened at the end of September or the 1st of October. In some year, Jesus, how did he announce himself? Well, he went down 
to near Jericho to the Jordan River and got baptized by John the Baptist. And the heavens opened up and a voice from heaven came and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And all of a sudden it is announced because John the Baptist sees the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus like a dove and remaining upon him. And all of a sudden he knows this is the Lamb of God who took away the sin, it takes away the sins of the world. And, and, you know, he was so excited. Well, that happened probably, let's just call it 1st October. Okay? We're generalizing. Then Jesus, if you read the account, he went out into the Judean desert. Now, the Judean desert begins right there near Jericho, right there at the Dead Sea, all along the Dead Sea, and back westward and, 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 and southwestward all the way to Jerusalem and beyond. And so Jesus went out immediately after he was baptized, 30 years old. He steps out into the Judean wilderness, and he spends 40 days fasting and praying and talking with God and he's spending this time and then after those 40 days the Bible says that he was hungry and the devil showed up to tempt him and tempted him and tempted him and tempted him and he defeated the temptations with the word of God and angels came and ministered to him. Woo! That was October. That would have taken October and let's say half of November. Or a little more. Okay? And then he walks about 85 to 90 miles. That takes a little while. And he walks back up to Nazareth and goes into his mama's house. Okay? So here we are, you know, another three or four or five days. And then the Bible says in Luke chapter 4, that Jesus, on that Sabbath, it's got to be somewhere, you know, uh, you know right there at the end of November, kind of, that Jesus goes to the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown. Many of you have been with me to that synagogue. That, that place is still there, and I take you to the place where Jesus was raised and he was taught to read and where he, where, where, where he preached his first sermon. And the Bible says, because he is 30 years old and because he is now a recognized adult in the community, the people there, right after he turns 30, his first Sunday at church, let's say, right after he turns 30, uh, then, then, then the, 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 the elders of the, uh, of, of the synagogue ask him to come up and read. Come up here and read, young man. You're one of us now. And so he comes to the, to the place, and the Bible says he takes the book. And he finds the place where it is written. He looks and finds Isaiah 61. And he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of Jubilee, the year in which everybody goes free. Whoa, what a message. <laughs> And then the Bible says he closes the book and he sits down. 
And the Bible also says in Luke, the fourth chapter, if you read it, all eyes are fastened on him. Why? Because they had not just heard the word, they had seen the word, they had felt the word, and here they were, something was happening to them, and they didn't know what it was. And Jesus, as he sees them all looking at him, I mean, he did what they asked, and he sat down. Then he says to them, as they're looking at him, <laughs> today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Woo! What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, yep, you're looking at him. I am the Messiah, the chosen one, the son of almighty God. I am the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Whoa. You know, they just could not get their minds, their religious minds wrapped around that. The Bible says that they, they basically leapt on him and they got him and they drug him and forced him out of the synagogue. And then they pushed him and carried him like a mob out to the edge of the town of Nazareth. It's built upon a high hill. In fact, Paul, the young man that brought the... Uh, uh, the, the manger up here, Paul is, is, is from the town of Nazareth. And, you know, his, his, his dad uh, lived there and was, he, you know, anyway, he's got family there, sisters and such. Right on the edge of a hill, if you go up on that hill, you realize there are a lot of cliffs. They were going to throw him off the cliff and kill him. And the Bible says that Jesus, turning, he just walked through their midst. And he walked out of the town of Nazareth and he walked down a hill. The little trail leads down through the city of Cana, right on down to a little valley. And then you begin to walk down a valley and walk down a hill and you get down to the Sea of Galilee. It's a full day's walk, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, and, and there at the Sea of Galilee, he would have taken a little bit of a left and went around the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee, almost halfway across. It's about another three or three and a half miles there uh, once you get to the Sea of Galilee. And he found the town of Capernaum. And he stopped there. Now bear in mind, end of November, 1st of December, and he leaves town. It's on a Saturday. He walks down to Capernaum, and next week, in the very next Saturday, long about the end of the first week of December, maybe the start of the second week, Jesus, the Bible says, enters in the next Sabbath into the synagogue of Capernaum, and he begins to preach. And then if you read it, it says that he spent a few Sabbaths. That's probably more than two and probably only about three. So here we are about December the 25th. <laughs> Y'all see how I got there? Okay. Whenever we catch up with Jesus in this particular passage. Now, I am a firm believer in priorities and in things that are first. I believe that Genesis 1-1, when God teaches us in Genesis 1-1, 2, 3, and 4, 
that God teaches us the most important things that he wants us to know. I mean, how many times when people start to read the Bible, they say, okay, I'm going to read the Bible in 2019. Where do they start? Genesis 1. How far they get? Not very far. How many times do they start at Genesis 1-1? So many times. So God put a lot in Genesis 1 in the first, to, 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 to tell us his will for our lives, you know, and the plan of salvation, how that we were in need, and how we were void and without, without, you know, without form and darkness covered us and, and God spoke to our hearts and let there be light. I mean, he put the whole plan of salvation right there in, in Genesis and he did the same thing, I believe, with Jesus. What Jesus did first is very important. And so here we are, along about this time of the year, along about this Christmas season, that we see Jesus doing some things that he's always wanted to do, he's been waiting on doing, and now that he is in full swing, he's going to step out, and he's going to begin to, to, to evangelize. Okay? He's going to begin to win souls. He's going to begin to change lives. He's going to begin to preach and teach, and he's going to begin to do some first things first. John put a whole lot in this first chapter of John. That's where we're going to be going in a minute. John is different than the other writers of the four Gospels. When Matthew wanted to introduce Jesus, he took us to the genealogies. When Mark wanted to introduce Jesus, he took us straight to the miracles. When Luke wanted to introduce Jesus, he took us to Bethlehem and to a manger. But when John, the one whom Jesus loved, when John wanted to introduce Jesus, he said, in the beginning was the word. He took us all the way back to the beginning. And then he said, and the word was God, the word was with God, the same was in the beginning with God. And, and, and you know, we, the word took upon flesh and dwelt among us and, and we saw him. And I mean, he came to show us the father and he put so much in that first chapter. I mean, he goes from the beginning of time all the way through Christmas. <laughs> and here, we find John recording the account of one of the first things that Jesus did as the Son of God. We'll pick up this account in John chapter 1, and we're entitling it, Come and See. That's what today's Christmas message is. Come and see. Have you found John chapter 1? You can look with me if you like. I'm reading from the New King James Version. And bear in mind again that the lessons taught to us by Jesus in this account are fundamental to our Christian faith. Christianity is never more complex than the steps that we are going to see Jesus taking in this particular passage. John the Baptist is speaking here. Allow me, if you would, while you read the word for me to, to uh, paraphrase just a little bit so that you'll understand who the characters are. Beginning with verse 35, this should be about Christmas Day, give or take a few days. And again, the next day, 
John the Baptist stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as Jesus was walking past him, John the Baptist said to his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God. <laughs> now, note here that John the Baptist is using his influence to point his friends to Jesus. You know, I mean, everybody likes to be liked. Everybody enjoys people listening to them. And John the Baptist had some disciples. They followed him around and he taught them and, and they were amazing and he served them. But John the Baptist knew something. John the Baptist knew that he was not the Savior of the world. People ask him, are you the one? Can you help me? And John said, no, it's not me. John understood that he could not do for people what Jesus can do for people. And so John the Baptist used his influence with his friends to point them to the one that could help them. He used his influence and said, listen, it's not me. Right there is the son of almighty God. Right there is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He used his influence as we should to point our friends to Christ. We are not saviors. The best we could do is give some advice that, that, that is based upon the word, but it's so important that we realize that our job in influencing others is to point them to Christ. Christ is the only Savior. He's the only one that can truly help. Verse 37, the two disciples heard John the Baptist speak, and they followed Jesus. Now, notice here that John the Baptist, his friends were really intrigued by John's testimony. I mean, they, they were, hmm. And they decided that they wanted to investigate Jesus for themselves. You see, whenever we share our testimony with others, it intrigues them, it interests them, it makes them feel as though that, hmm, I might want to look at this myself. And that's what they were doing. They decided that they would investigate Jesus for themselves. You know, people still do this. This is a lesson that Jesus is teaching us. And how ap apropos in this particular season, because people are so open. The world cannot deny that Christ is the reason for the season. Every time they write Merry Christmas, they are saying, Happy Day of Christ. <laughs> Verse 38, and Jesus turned. Now, here they begin to follow Jesus. And Jesus turned. I love this. Jesus will always turn. It reminds me of the prodigal son's father. It's another picture of God. If you've read that particular account in the New Testament, Jesus tells about a son who, who, who leaves his father's house and goes and spends all of his inheritance and, and things get really bad for him. And the son does not feel welcomed at the father's house. He feels like maybe I could just go back and be a servant. But as soon as this prodigal son turns and begins home, the Bible says when the father sees him, he runs to him and he throws his arms around him and he welcomes him and accepts him and forgives him. You see, Jesus turned and seeing them following said to them, what do you seek? 
And they said to Jesus, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, they weren't saying Messiah. They were just saying, you know, you, you know, you know, maybe there's something we can learn. We recognize you as a teacher. Maybe there's something, you know, you have here. And, and, and uh, where are you staying? <laughs> oh, you see Jesus giving us a picture here of what people are looking for. They're wanting to know where the real Jesus is. Where is he? Where is he staying? Where is he? Where is it that I can find this satisfaction of my soul? Where are you staying? It's evident that Jesus took note that they were interested in him. <laughs> wow. When you show an interest in Jesus, let me tell you something. All you have to do is just show an interest and God is always welcoming. He's always encouraging. He's always willing to listen. Where are you staying? Verse 39, and Jesus said to them, come and see. <laughs> oh, I like that. Oh, this won't be the last time you would read this in chapter one. Other people are gonna pick up on this and do the same thing. Come and see, come and see. <laughs> And they came and they saw. They saw where he was staying. And guess what? They remained with him that day. Now, it was about the 10th hour, about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, they stayed all day long. <laughs> you see, Jesus shows us here what most people need. He's given us a picture First things first, there's so much that we can uh, have revealed to us in these scriptures. There's a limited amount of, 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 of scriptures that we have. But they're so power-packed full of revelation. Jesus is showing us what most people need. Most people simply need an invitation to come and see. Come and see for yourself. And what happens when people come and see? When they find the real Jesus, when they find that Jesus is accepting and welcoming and encouraging and he's willing to listen and he's ready to share and he's open and you can really see him and you can really talk to him. I mean, he's not someone, I mean, you would expect that the Lamb of God, the Son of God, you would expect the Messiah would be untouchable, unapproachable. But here he said, come and see where I am. Come and see where I live. Come and see how I live. Come, come on, come and see. And when people come and see, providing Jesus is really in the house, they'll feel welcomed, they'll feel encouraged, they'll feel that someone is listening to them, and they'll feel like the answers they need are just right there in him. And guess what? They will find it hard to leave, just like they did. It's an unfolding revelation of one of the first evangelistic messages given to us in the scriptures here. Jesus himself, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained all that day. Wow, verse 40. One of the two, one of those two disciples who heard John the Baptist speak about Jesus and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. I find that interesting, okay? Don't y'all find that, now, 
yeah, Andrew, Simon Peter, you, you know Peter, the apostle Peter? Peter's brother. Presumably his younger brother was the one that was following Jesus. And Jesus said, come and see. And he went to Jesus' house and where Jesus was staying and, and, and felt so welcome and encouraged. He stayed there all day long. And, 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 and uh, verse 40 says it was Andrew. Verse 41 says that Andrew first found his own brother. I mean, he, he couldn't wait to get out of there and go tell Peter what I have found. This happens. It happens so much. And this is the picture that, that Jesus is wanting to give us here, that he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to Simon, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. Oh. Now, it's evident that Peter was Andrew's biological brother, but they were more than brothers. They were also friends. In fact, they chose to work alongside one another in the fishing industry, okay? They spent all day, every day together. They were raised together. They spent time together. You know, I mean, here they are, you know, friends and co-workers. And, and what did Andrew do when Andrew went to see for himself because he was invited and he saw the real Jesus? He felt something. He, oh, he went out and found his brother, his friend, his co-worker. And the first thing he did is he told him, I have found Jesus. Woo! Let me tell you something. This inviting people is a pretty powerful thing. There is an anointing. That is so much more far reaching than your words can ever penetrate. You can encourage, you can counsel, you can advise. You can do so many things to help people, but the greatest thing you can do is point them to the Lamb of God because if they will come in to where the real Jesus is, they will feel welcomed and encouraged and accepted and loved. Not the fake Jesus, but the real Jesus. If they will find a place where Jesus really is, then guess what happens? They want to stay, and the first thing they want to do when they leave is go and tell their friends, their coworkers, their family. They want them to know, I have found something. I have found the Lord. I have found Jesus. I have found Christ. And, 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 and Andrew didn't just tell him, I found Christ. He probably told him about his whole day. But verse 42 says, in the first part, and he brought Peter to Jesus. <laughs> oh, my. There's something wonderful about an invitation, about telling others that I have found the Lord. I have found the answers to my soul. I have found something that I can't explain. I have heard about him and heard about him and heard about him, but I have found him for myself. Won't you come and see? Let me bring you 
to the same Christ that I found. He brought him to Christ. You see, the greatest opportunity anyone can give another person is to tell them where they can find Jesus. My, we can help with a lot of advice, but oh, when we bring someone to Christ, you can influence others. You have influence. You can influence others to come and see. And when you've done that, you've done about all you can do. Simply tell someone that you have found Christ. It can begin with your family, your friends, your coworkers. And it will spread out and even to others that you're just meeting, your new acquaintances. When, when, when you tell them you found Christ and all you can do is just say, well, come and see. You know, invite them to come to church. There is a collective anointing in church that when, when people sit under the worship, the anointed worship, and hear the anointed word of God, it penetrates much deeper. Something happens in the collective anointing that changes lives. It intrigues. You see, we began our walk with Christ as believers in him. That's where it begins. We began our walk with Christ as believers in him. We continue our walk with Christ as followers of him. And that's what Jesus asked. Come and follow me. If any man will come after me, let him die himself, take up his cross and follow me. We continue our, 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 our walk with Christ by following him. But we fulfill our walk with Christ as witnesses for him. That is the purpose of our life. That we would let our light so shine that others would see that light and glorify God in heaven. This is not the end of the story. I'll encourage you to continue to read that first chapter. You will find that Philip is invited as well. And, 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 and when Philip finds Christ, he immediately goes out to Nathaniel and says to Nathaniel, come and see. I have found the Messiah. Come and see. It's just duplicated over and over again of people sharing their witness, telling others that I found something. I want you to come and see. It works. And it's the Christmas message for today. Can you think of someone you know who would benefit from being in an environment like this? An environment of encouragement, an environment of acceptance. Can you think of someone who would benefit by coming and sitting and soaking in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. God is doing more here today than my words could ever accomplish. Someone who may be lost or lost their way or someone unchurched or someone unhappy or, or, or just in need of answers for life, I'm going to challenge you right now. Don't say no to Jesus for someone else. You might say, how could I ever say no to Jesus for someone else? We say no to Jesus for others every time we imagine that they would say no if we asked them. 
so we don't ask them. Every time we imagine that others will not come and see, so we don't ask them, we're saying no for them. Let others say no for themselves. Plenty will. Far too many will. But not everyone will. Let's give people an opportunity. This morning I just encourage you to do like Andrew and Peter and Philip and Nathaniel did in John chapter 1. Just invite someone to church. To Christ. It doesn't matter if it's this church. It could be any church that's preaching the love of Christ. Just tell them to come and see or go and see for yourself. I found Christ. Come and see. And as you do, you might be surprised who comes and what they see. Today, if you have never made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, that's the most important step you can take. I have found Christ. You've come. I'm going to believe that the Holy Spirit has encouraged you this morning. For some of you, and you don't know why, you feel like the Lord is adding you to this house. It's not in my notes, not planned. I just felt the Holy Spirit say that. Let me encourage you. Take advantage of that moment, of that unction. For some of you, you feel as though that you need to make a commitment this morning to go and tell someone what you found. Make a commitment. Do it. Follow that unction of the Holy Spirit. There is power, extra power, energy, motivation, and success whenever we do what God encourages us to do. Something miraculous happens. We can't know the future. But we can know what God wants from us now. It's a simple encouragement from the Holy Spirit. If you are here this morning and you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, if you're not sure you're on your way to heaven, don't you feel that encouragement right now from the Lord? Don't you feel right now that simple, you know, I should do that. I need to do that. If you're away from God, if something has happened in your life and, and you've backed off, don't you feel like he wants you to turn? He'll run toward you, throw his arms around you. He'll accept you and welcome you, and so will we. We're family. This morning, won't you consider your response to God? 